welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show, we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today's tale takes us back to a familiar world, one that we explored a small corner of in The Dressing Station. Today, we travel to a glittering empire that is in the grip of great change. Centaur Procession by Ridian Jones Herenia remained still as the attendant, a young daughter of one of the four great families, placed the imperial crown upon her head. The tall golden panels arranged in an octagon and set with thousands of tiny gems depicting scenes of imperial glory and the strings of pearls that cascaded down the wearer's cheeks and back were neither comfortable nor stable. Some said that it was made that way to remind the wearer of the precariousness of their rule. For Herenia, it was most certainly true. How fares our husband? She asked the imperial chamberlain that she knew would be there without looking. Resting comfortably, Basilia, he replied smoothly. Trussed up in a straight jacket and gibbering like a toddler, then, she thought to herself as the attendant placed the imperial signet ring on her right index finger, and another held up the ceremonial mace ready for her to grasp. Begin, she stated quietly but firmly. She had no need to raise her voice. Bathus would have, or more likely shouted. Herenia had decided that to do so would look weak. In the imperial court, the weak died with a silk cord around their neck, if they were lucky. Without saying another word, the first empress of the Centaur Empire to rule in her own right walked towards the high double doors that led out to the Mez, the great processional way that led from the Palatian to the higher Catedros, from one beating heart of the empire to the other. The doors slid open smoothly, bathing the atrium in bright sunlight. Some of those present blinked and shielded their eyes in the sunlight. Herenia didn't so much as twitch an eyelid, despite the pain. She simply strode forward, resolute, her jaw tight to avoid allowing her face to betray her. She kept her hooves lifted high from the cobbles and kicking forward in a stately manner so that the bracelets with trailing golden chains would emerge from her silk robes of state and flash in the sun. To either side of the mez stood imperial catafracoi facing the crowds, huge centaurs with horse bodies the size of a bison and equally vast human torsos. All were clad from head to hocks in thick steel scales over mail, on their heads were helms that covered their faces, each one crafted into the same impassive silver face. In one hand they carried long lances, held at precisely the same angle as their fellows, and in the other a great curved tower shield in imperial purple and gold, freshly painted in Herenia sigil. Normally the mez was crammed with people walking every which way, felon and centaurs alike going from their houses to the grand markets, the catedros, the docks, and the baths. But on days like this, the cataphractoi cleared the great artery that ran through the city to let the imperial retinue pass unimpeded. The residents of the city were accustomed enough to these processions that on a normal day some would stop to observe, but most would bow respectfully and then continue about their day. Today, though, the city stood still and silent. A change was in the air that could bring prosperity or ruin, sometimes both. No one in the crowd, or indeed the procession, 
new witch. They could only stand and watch the great game of imperial politics play out before them and hope to avoid being ground to dust beneath its implacable wheels. It seemed to Hereni that most of the city had turned out to see her today. She wasn't so naive as to believe that it meant that they supported her, though. They stood watching her in eerie, impassive silence. She could clearly hear the soft rattle of the gold chains and pearls that trailed from the imperial crown next to her ears. The sound of her hooves on the cobbles and those of her retinue echoed sharply back from the tall buildings that lined the mez. The people that lined the broad street were not necessarily there to lend their support to her, merely to acknowledge that, for the time being at least, she was the Empress. Their silence meant that to a man and woman they knew that her position was not secure, and wished to avoid the retribution that openly supporting her would bring from Bathus should she fall. Herenia remained silent, her face impassive, and continued forwards at her stately pace, using the formal gait reserved for occasions such as this. If I wish to be Empress, I must appear as the Empress they expect, she thought as she walked. Behind her she could hear, from the way that their hooves fell on the cobbles, that some in the procession were wary and nervous. She couldn't blame them. Simply walking down this street with her was a statement that they either supported her or were her puppet, just as any who walked with Bathus were declaring the same for him. More than a few courtiers had already decided to inspect their country estates for a few months. The procession continued in the same strange near silence until they entered the shadow of the Catedros. Herenia's shoulders untensed slightly as she entered the shade of the grand building, painted with scenes depicting the lords of order and chaos in their constant struggle, even making it this far without the crowd screaming insults or hurling stones was an achievement. If the cataphractoi had been forced to charge the crowd to find the miscreants, the resulting riot would have consumed the city for days or even weeks. The palatia in front was packed with people, but they were so quiet that you could hear the silk of her gown shift on her shoulders as the muscles relaxed. She stopped in front of the vast oak doors banded with black iron scrollwork that closed the vault of the great arch to her and the throng outside. The silence pressed around her. After she entered, assuming she was allowed to, all would change. For her, the waiting crowd, Bathus and the Empire... She crushed the silence against the great door with a ceremonial mace. The crash rang three times through the palatia and echoed back from the buildings around them. In one of those surreal moments where incongruous details suddenly seem of much greater significance than they deserve to be, Herenia noticed that the gilded flanges of the mace had bitten deep into the age-dark oak and left a bright scar of fresh wood. Only four other such scars were in these doors— each left at a time of great change and turmoil. A susurrus of voices rose as the echoes fell. Herenia couldn't make out any one voice or hear what they said, but the crowd sounded concerned. It was fear of the coming change that she and so many others had fought to stop before the people could succumb to the inevitability of it. Instead, she sought to steer the change lest they be consumed by it. She couldn't blame the crowd. Change was the harbinger of chaos, and chaos was anathema to the Empire. 
a smaller door set within the grater opened. A felon priest stepped forth and stood before her in simple undyed robes. Who comes to the Catedros of the Spirit of Order? he asked. Hereni and her advisers had spent two days preparing for this moment. Using the traditional reply was political and probably tantamount to suicide, but she must carry the authority of the Emperor without seeming a usurper. The Empress, who wishes to see equilibrium and order restored both to her husband's mind and to the Empire that he is father to. The priest blinked for a moment, clearly surprised. He must have been expecting the traditional form. "'By what right do you claim entry?' he asked in a voice that carried through the palatia to those arrayed within. "'By the right of a wife who wishes to heal her husband, by the right of a mother who wishes to care for her children, be they the child of her womb or the empire itself.' Her voice matched his for clarity, and carried as much firmness and authority as she could muster. "'Then enter, and be welcome.' As the priest stepped back into the door and to one side, she heard a great sigh of relief from the crowd. If he had barred her entry, then the resulting riots would have torn herself and the city to pieces. "'Basilla Vutilia!' shouted one lone voice from the back of the crowd. She allowed herself the barest suggestion of a smile. It wasn't much, but it was a start. She bowed before the great doors and stepped into the cool darkness within. She proceeded a few steps further and then stopped to allow her eyes to adjust. Outside, the bright, harsh sun had been bouncing from all the white-painted walls of the city. In here, the light streamed through great stained glass windows in every colour under the sun— in rigid geometric patterns that were so intricate that at first glance little order could be discerned, but the longer one looked, the more order emerged from the chaos. Lots of little rules of geometry added up to a pattern so complicated that even as the whole appeared almost random, it was carefully and tightly ordered. Just like the Empire itself, she thought as she took a moment to admire them. The light that streamed through the windows struck the carefully arranged marble flagstones and reflected up the columns carved in triple spirals of coloured granite, set with lapis lazuli, jasper and jade, brought here from every corner of the empire. Every inch of it had been coated in mosaics of semi-precious stone. Each piece no longer than half the size of her little fingernail had been coated in gold leaf and the reflections of the light on it filled the great catedros with a warm, soft glow. The smell of incense left to burn on the altars by supplicants gently swirled through the air and to her nose in a cascade of beautiful smells before softly rising towards the vast dome that soared above them like a golden sky with its mosaic of the eternal war in heaven between the sons of life and death in a riot of colour. At key points, tiny windows had been placed into the dome that let light lance down into the space in bright, pure beams through the veil of incense smoke. Each window had been precisely placed to match the stars in the sky above the dome, and the mosaic around them matched the constellation so that any who saw it would know that the gods had placed the stars there to teach the mortals their story, to learn from it and to follow it. 
This great dome was a pale reflection of the sky above them all, but it was the best that could be wrought by mortal hands to honour the one above. In the centre of the vast space under the peak of the dome was the central altar. A great circle of white marble carved into a filigree screen hid where the choir sang and filled the space around her. Above that sat the pulpit, where the priests would speak from, and finally atop that, supported on sixteen arches, was the altar itself, shining in cloth of gold with the light from the tinted windows in the great dome reflecting off it to fill every part of the catedros with its radiance. Herenia carefully bent all four of her legs until her horse chest brushed the tiles of the floor that were arranged to make a map of the world with the imperial city at the centre, beneath the altar. The only person in the whole empire who need not bow was the emperor himself. She may be empress, but she did not yet rule. The felon priest who had let her in nodded very slightly at her show of piety, and as the two cataphractoi bodyguards who had followed her in did the same, their armour gently clinking and scraping on the tiles as they did. "'Where will the convocation be held?' she asked him, without taking her eyes from the altar and the wonder of the dome above it. "'In the chapel of Comenius, the great emperor. I will show you there now,' he informed her. "'Very well,' she replied. He bowed and led the way in respectful silence. They walked across the still grandeur of the main catedros to a pair of double doors. The priest pushed them open and stood to one side. "'The Empress Herenia,' he announced, his voice filling the room, "'who wishes to see equilibrium and order restored both to her husband's mind "'and to the empire that he is father to, "'who comes to this convocation by the right of a wife who wishes to heal her husband "'and the right of a mother who wishes to care for her children, "'be they the child of her womb or of the empire itself.' There was a murmur at the unconventional phrasing, but no voices raised in protest as she stepped forward into the chapel. It was much smaller than the space they had just left, and the ring-shaped altar was no more than a waist-high to a felon, so that everyone present could see one another. The decoration was a far more restrained black-and-white pattern that helped to highlight the gold of the casket that hung above the altar from the peak of the dome. Inside was the Emperor Comenius, the first emperor. By tradition, all great convocations were held here so that he might bear witness. There were seats arranged around the altar in a spiral. The two closest to the altar were unoccupied, as were many of the others in the room. Those that were held a mixture of senators, priests, imperial functionaries and generals, both felon and centaur. She genuflected before the altar and Comenius, and walked to the two seats nearest the centre of the spiral. She could feel everyone watching as they wondered which she would take, and without hesitation eased herself into the seat one away from the centre, her seat by right and tradition, not the one next to her that belonged to her husband. The air in the chapel stirred softly as hundreds of people gently released breaths they were unaware they had been holding. Herenia nodded to the impassive Bathus who sat in the seat reserved for the head of the Senate. 
as the remainder of her attendants began to file into the chapel and take their places in strict rank order. For good or ill, she was committed to this path now. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a story you'd like us to read, then contact us through our Facebook page and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production. 